know that it may sound paradoxical, but I don't use fashion with an aesthetic purpose, but as a tool to fight against any cultural segregation. Out of all the brands that are part of the Camera della Moda, yours is the, the only Black-owned business. What could the Italian fashion industry learn from how you've managed to break through? We, we need more visionaries as the one who, that helped me at the beginning. We need, we need some more pioneers. So much of what's produced in the luxury fashion industry is made in Italy. Made in Italy is not white. We are not a white country. We are a mixed race country. So it's time to be proud of our mixed roots and to show it to show them to the world. And I'm sure that we are able to do it. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF podcast. As the global conversation around racial equity in the fashion industry has gathered steam, there has been a specific conversation happening within the Italian market. Italy has its own unique history with race and multiculturalism. And today on the podcast, I sit down with the designer Stella Jean to talk about her work in elevating and amplifying the conversation around Black Lives Matter in the Italian context. Here's Stella Jean, Inside Fashion. Hello, everyone. This is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. Welcome to the latest episode of BOF Live. Uh, today, I'm here with the designer Stella Jean, who is joining us from Italy. And we're here to talk about a very important topic, obviously, that we have been discussing at length here on BOF um, over the last few months. Much of the discussion around the Black Lives Matter movement in fashion has been focused on uh, the conversations in the U.S. Uh, and to a certain extent here in the U.K. where, I, where I'm based. Uh, but Stella has been playing a leading role in driving the conversation around Black Lives Matter in Italy. And so we're delighted to have her with us today to help paint a picture about how this conversation, this very important conversation, has a very unique tone and history and context that differentiates it uh, from some of the other countries. So of course, the core conversation is rooted in the same goals around achieving better racial equity for um, black professionals in fashion. Um, but in Italy, there's some specific context and situations that make the conversation there a really important one to consider outside some of the other conversations that we've been having. So. I'm delighted to have Stella with us here today. And, and Stella, before we, we kind of dive into the topic at hand, I, I wanted to start with you uh, and your personal background and history. Um, just for those listeners and viewers who don't already, who aren't already familiar with your work. So could you just, you know, in the first instance, um, take a moment to, you know, tell us your personal story. You know, how did you grow up? Where did you grow up? Uh, explain a little bit about your background, uh, and 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 then we can get into a little bit about how you got into the fashion industry. Okay, Imran, hi, hello, thank you for having me. So I will tell a bit of my, about my story. So, and uh, fashion comes for me from uh, two different personal seeds. 
First, he has begun as a personal necessity, born in Italy of the early 80s and struggling being so, that, uh, so diverse from my fellow citizen, has motivated me to find a way to show people not to be afraid of different cultures and color, but instead to see them as opportunities and see uh, them as a chance to grow better and together. I know that it might, may sound paradoxical, but I don't use fashion with an aesthetic purpose, but as a tool to fight against any cultural segregation. You know, the beauty of fashion has no borders, so you can accept beauty a priori without prejudices. This allows me to talk through fashion without preconceived opinion, just beauty. That's why my work reflects my own metissage and Creole heritage, in which, in which two opposite cultures, first white republic in one side, first black republic in the other, Italy, Italy, blend together. So this marriage of opposites creates a new hybrid, which I've always considered during my childhood a total disadvantage. And it took me a long time uh, to change my mind, but thanks to many friends, mentor, role model, and fashion, obviously, which has been my therapy in this case, I've discovered the precious uniqueness of being diverse, conveying, conveying a new concept of multiculturalism applied to fashion, which promotes cultural crossover without ever compromising uh, one's own identity. And then there is the second uh, reason. It's uh, the need to put forth and, uh, and uh, preserve the multiculturalism, which comes from the fact that I've, I've always had to actually. My mother comes from Haiti and my father from Italy. I was born in Rome, but I've spent few years in uh, Haiti. And I was mortified that such a great country was known just for some wrong reason. Earthquake, extreme poverty, charity action. Believe me, after immediate emergency cases, help should come in a totally different form in order to build a long-term action. Considering that this population have so many cultural resources which would allow them to rise up again on their feet without the need of charity action. What they need is a, someone who decides to believe in their capacity and give them the opportunity to work, putting in place their own skill. This should be, to me, the, the power of fashion. This is acknowledgement of fashion's potential as a cultural activity to provide significant opportunities for decent work for men and women around the world. That's why I've created my, I've founded the Laboratorio uh, delle, delle Nazioni. So, you know, it's really interesting because I was reading up a bit about you before and actually you didn't study fashion, you studied political science, is that right? Yeah. And I, I don't even know how to draw. <laughs> Okay, so how do you go from someone who doesn't know how to draw, who studies political science, to creating a fashion brand? My will, as I said, was to, um, uh, to explain my story, my, my identity, so a multicultural, uh, multiculturalism through fashion. So, as I said, I use it uh, as, a, um, as a tool, so I put together uh, different or those that may seem opposite culture. I beginning with Italy and Haiti, so a white republic, a black republic, and from that day on, also thanks to um, the help and the support of the United Nations, each collection is the result of the construction of a, of a cultural bridge between Italian design and the artisans of a low-income country at each different season, such 
as I said, Haiti, Burkina Faso, Mali, Pakistan, and others in South America, Africa, and, and Asia. I go on this country on mission, and after a first period of meeting and research on various indigenous skills, many of which are uh, unfortunately dying out, I start studying together with local artisans how to develop a product or fashion, textile, accessory, combining the host country's traditional craftsmanship, craftsmanship with the Italian design and sour fare. So it becomes an exchange of know-how which, uh, which show our cultural heritages, in this case, have a major impact on development and uh, can contribute to reduce a lack of, uh, of opportunities through uh, that uh, we can call it an international cooperation. I understand. So this idea of multiculturalism has been kind of woven through your brand from the very beginning. You know, it's, it's part of the kind of essential core of how you started your business. But it, it, it strikes me that the issues of race and multiculturalism in Italy, you know, are very different from the way people have these conversations, say, in other countries. Like I grew up in Canada. Uh, which is also you know, a very multicultural society and multiculturalism is, is, is like literally embedded into the constitution of the country, right? It's, it's, it's written into the governing you know, principles around which the country is based. Um, and that means that those of us in minority groups who grew up in Canada, we were given a space already from the very beginning when we were in school to understand how those of us who came from different backgrounds were still part of the Canadian multicultural fabric. It was an essential part of the identity of the country. Italy, on the other hand, is different. So can you, can you talk to me a little bit about how you see the, the notion of multiculturalism in Italy? Um, you know, it's, it, I think it's, it may be interesting since when it comes to racism, Italy can be considered a case study. So you have its own peculiar narrative that doesn't look quite like any other. Um, that's, you, uh, you have also to think that each Italian family holds within itself a story of migration. So you would be hard pressed to find a single Italian family in which no one had to migrate to seek survival or fortune elsewhere. Thus, uh, we as Italian have uh, unique insight into this issue. We know and understand the weight and the pain of it. At times, however, it seems that we do everything possible to hide our history, to silence our wound. But there truly is no reason, I think, to do so, as they are part of us and can indeed help us to, to, to tune into reality that uh, we now view and live from a privileged perspective because now we have become those who welcome. And uh, uh, sincerely, we often do it well and beyond, beyond what we feel capable of. So we, ooh, I, I, I often wonder, I hope I ask myself, who better than us can understand this exhausting journey and help to integrate the new realities of our social fabric exactly as we have been integrating in different countries all over the world. We, we know, as Italians, we know the meaning of discrimination better than many other countries. Just remember some panel in history where, the, the, where they wrote um, 
the, the uh, you can hear in this space uh, black people, Jewish dogs, and Italians cannot enter. So it's it's a painful it's a painful history that we know very well. Nobody has to uh, explain us something about it. And um, uh, that said, I understand and can rationalize the extreme fatigue of facing this topic, especially when it's right from the uh, reassuring abstractness of geographical distance. Uh, we often say here that it's an American problem, it doesn't exist here, and is instead given the heavy concrete weight of uh, indifference, right, in our own house. Uh, but let's uh, say it uh, doesn't justify this uh, constant denial. So every time Italy pronounced that word, wound that we have ignored for far too long, we open. But if we don't understand that awareness is the first step in solving the problem, this wound will never, will never heal. Yeah. So it's interesting, you know, in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd by the police uh, in the United States a few months ago, the entire world, um, which was on pause effectively because of the, the virus, stopped and took in those images and took in the video of George Floyd being killed in front of everyone's eyes in eight minutes and 46 seconds. And it led to this kind of you know, explosion of, of protest in the streets all over the world. Can you, can you talk to me, you know, given what you've just told us about how in Italy, sometimes these issues are hidden and they're not openly discussed. What was the conversation in Italy like around the Black Lives Matter movement uh, when, um, when, when things started really picking up and that movement started going global? Um, over the last few months? What were they saying in Italy? What were the people um, fighting for? And, and, and how, how might you compare that to what was happening elsewhere? You know, uh, we had um, a paradoxical reaction. Here in Italy, uh, people um, greatly support Black Lives Matter US. And uh, we made a lot of talk, a lot of articles about it. It was our one hour covers of, of our newspaper every day. But, uh, you know, this is the paradox of, Italian, of racism in Italy. We are the first to stand for uh, other countries, no? But we cannot admit our problem because it's still a taboo. So for me, it's mortifying that they seem to continue to not want to understand that the United States, France, UK, other all have equally hateful histories of racism, but with different characteristics, timelines and evolution. Each of these countries' uh, racial history is very different from each other and that of Italy, which, is, which has its own roots and development. is the result of our history of both painful immigration and migration, as I say, but it's a shameful when uh, the whiteness of this country is used as a justification for the homogeneity uh, of, of, of the same country, of some institution or some special field. 
And um, as some believe that the lack of diversity in fashion sector is due to the fact that Italy is predominantly white. It's a shame, Imran, that they missed the new multicultural reality. They missed the point of why masses of people from all different backgrounds were taking to the squares in towns and cities from the north of the south and Italy in support of Black Lives Matter. Ranging from every possible type of skin tone, the new Italians are here and they are asking to be seen and respected just like the next person, not more not or less. The beautiful, about, um, the beautiful thing about the Black Lives Matter manifestation in Italy is that Italians of every U were united in their request for human rights for all. White, you, you, uh, I have the possibility because I was there, white youth so had the possibility to see that white youth were thrilled to listen to their peers who courageously opened their hearts in ways I personally could not have when I was their age. They had the courage to speak openly about a pain that is continuously silenced by society here. So the new Italians were there that day. They were the same ones who made me strongly believe, and I can tell you, I strongly believe for the first time in my life that this time we can do, we can do it. We, we can overcome this problem. This time things will change because we were not segregated by color in, this, in that square. We were united. This is the example that fashion should follow as well. I would suggest to major Italian brands to save the significant funds allocated to provide sensitivity training and instead watch and learn from this generation, from those images, from the courageous testimonies of the, of the people who share their, their own experience. So if we can come out of this situation, it, we have to be united and we don't want them to stick us in a special area, still special area. Let's overcome this together. They, uh, they are really, they really are no other valid alternative. So, you know, outside of palaces of power in the real country, we live in a, in a multicultural country here in Italy, one of the most beautiful and diverse countries in Europe. So our, even our extreme beauties is actually due to our mixed heritage. Maybe my white neighbor, you know, my white neighbor won't be visible as me, but we, in Italy, we are all mixed. So our strength is our, uh, is our mixture. And this truth is evident in every aspect of Italy, from food to architecture. And now, finally, we hope to fashion. Yeah. Let, let's talk a little bit about fashion because, you know, over the last 18 to 24 months, as we see some of the, you know, stumbles that some of the brands in fashion have made, you can look back through the list of brands that have made some of these errors, which I know that they're working very hard internally to address and, you know, they've taken a bunch of actions, but it's quite interesting how so many of those brands were Italian brands. You know, Dolce & Gabbana, Gucci, Prada, and many others have found themselves in these situations where they've been accused of cultural appropriation, they've been accused of uh, racist imagery in their campaigns or racist products um, that are offensive to, to, to members of their global customer base. And I, I wonder why 
you know, on the one hand, you have this very enlightened young generation that's ready to embrace a kind of new face of Italy, a new perspective on what being Italian actually means. And on the other hand, you have these big, huge companies that have these massive global brands and they're making these kinds of mistakes. How is it that that happens now? You know, what is your diagnosis of the challenges that some of these companies have internally that has res resulted in some of these um, errors that they've made in, 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 their, in their choices and decisions? You know, this really uh, is about how to address a systemic, a realistic lack of opportunity by setting, by setting an equally systemic commitment in consistency and purpose aim at a direct confrontation to integrate and contaminate Italian association that have long preached multiculturality, but have rarely applied such concepts beyond the media windows of catwalk in a spaces away from the spotlight where no one is watching. So with the same emphasis, they publicly profess unconditional support for our cause and to the image of themselves as a, our main uh, ally to the press. I think that a portion, even a small portion of this passion and blame should be used to target what is happening in Italy. I know that it's truly incomprehensible that in a field like fashion that prides itself in celebrating progressiveness, creativity, and freedom of expression, injustice and prejudice continue to have a notable grip on the industry at large. So despite the establishment of diversity inclusion advisory board, there are sensitivity and decision-making skills that cannot be learned in a workshop alone. So we, uh, as I say, we experience racism paradox in Italy. So while you find all the black squares shared and uh, you can read shared on Instagram pages of all the main, all the main uh, Italian brand and you can read very good suggestion and passionate advice of my compatriots from the fashion field directed towards certain aspects of the critical situation happening in the United States. Uh, many notable Italian brands have positioned themselves squarely in alignment with the African-American pride and struggled for justice in the form of Black Lives Matter. They've postured, they've postured a black square and they've generally pledged to do more, better and right now. The problem comes when you ask them uh, for the same support to the minority right here, the, the black minority right here in Italy. At first, usually they don't even understand what you are talking about. So it's, it's uh, something similar to what happened to black Italians normally. It's when they ask you where you're from and you simply ask the truth, the answer the truth, I'm Italian, and people usually, the 99% answer, uh, uh, come on, no, that's, that's not true. Where you really come from? And uh, it's happened a bit the same when we ask the attention of, uh, of the Italian fashion um, giants, let's talk them. And, um, and we had to explain them something that is obvious to the rest of the world. And uh, sometimes they start to put forth some excuses and some, excuses and some justification that Personal, personally, personally, always scared me because it's when you see that they are building walls 
and instead you are here in front of them trying to build bridges no and uh i really think that this is about forcing ourselves to make an effort not for the benefit of as i say of the media windows of catwalks but for the less visible but much more rewarding realm of equality and ultimately sustainable growth because you know after black lives matter uh, mostly of um, if you go and check all the official pages of the med of the major Italian brands, you will see filled with black models. And I'm sure that next fashion week will be the same. But what? And you know, this is the fight that uh, Betan Artisan, along with Naomi and Ayman, uh, fought and won. So the battle to have more. Uh, black models on the catwalk. The thing is, it, it has been our last battle, the last battle that we won. After that, nothing has changed because behind the scene, they, you won't find you won't find uh, black employee on the on the fashion industries. And uh, we need to change something. Also, when if if it's a uh, an industry that uh, nobody will see. If even if there are some information that they are not there for for the press, for, but for the real life. Right. So basically, you're saying the image that uh, Italian fashion companies are using to project to the world may be a more diverse, um, visually diverse uh, image than they were projecting before. But what hasn't changed is the way the companies are working inside and the people who work inside these companies. So if, if, you're, if you were sitting down with Mr. Bertelli at Prada or Mr. Rosso at, at Diesel um, or any of the big Italian uh, brands, what would you be advising them to do? What would you say to them if you had the opportunity to sit down with them and give them some advice? Uh, first of all, just try to not talk about us anymore, but start to talk to us. It will make a huge difference. Uh, they are all in love about black culture, but not a lot of them are available to understand that there are some implications before using a culture with, that cannot be used. So uh, also in order to avoid this kind of, um, of, let's call them mistakes, we should sit and talk together, starting from common sense and then a little empathies would would help you know the the camera de la moda made uh, put forward an important a really important document which has been the the manifesto in um, last year 2019 the um, which it was the diversity and inclusion manifesto in which they stated some important statement like uh, that they would welcome and denounce institutional discrimination they would facilitate support and welcome the demands of oppressed individuals. It would give a platform designed to amplify marginalized people. Well, we are here. <laughs> so instead of just looking abroad to more glamorous uh, um, objectives, we could start maybe uh, 
at home. That's why, along with Edward Buchanan and the support of collectives like um, black, of black designers like in the black, made in Africa, and black Italians, we call upon the president of the Italian Fashion Council and to, to him and to the 14 major, 14 major Italian brands as member of its executive. And we made our, uh, our appeal to the council using mostly their own words. We simply requested the evidence of the, of the commitment made by the DNI manifesto. The subject of models and marketing is one, conversa is one conversation. Employment and hiring is a completely different ballgame. It's clear my, my brand represents neither a percentage nor a number. One out of 113, no? I'm, I'm obviously an exception to a long-established rule that many, maybe, do not wish to see change. That's why we are calling um, for proof of what the Fashion Council wrote in that manifesto to advocate for an historic appeal to bring to the forefront for the first time in our history the paradoxical taboo uh, topic of race in Italy through the question, do black lives matter in Italian fashion? And also to support black designers who are still invisible in the business of Italian fashion. This is a demand for, for a fashion reform and an unprecedented honest dialogue with all major Italian brands, which of course are participating in highly, highly performative uh, gestures of public support regarding issues related to racism in America, while at the same time overlooking what is happening to the black minority in their own country among, among its workforce, particularly at the executive and creative leadership uh, levels. But this should not be a question of, of tokenism because I'm, I'm already I'm, I'm already an example. I'm, I'm the one. You, do you understand in 2020, one, you know, let, one let, of let. the four major council in the world, international council in the world. This is not even a, a number and we don't even want to see us bounded in certain special areas which are historically well known to us. So I don't want to remind some dark pages of our history. It's time to turn the page. Okay, so let's talk about your story a little bit again, because you say you're an exception, right? Because you're, I think, out of all the brands that are part of the Camera della Moda, yours is the, the only black owned business, right? And, you know, when I reflect back, Stella, on when I first came across your work, um, it was a big deal. You know, everyone was talking about you. Mr. Armani sponsored one of your shows. Um, you won the Who's On Next Award um, in Italy, which is like one of the most prestigious fashion awards. So the industry, in a way, really got behind you. And, you know, arguably, um, played a role in really giving you a platform to kind of showcase your very unique perspective on fashion, as you had explained before, with this like really multicultural, cross-cultural approach. So what can we learn from your story that, you know, you who did not come from a traditional fashion background, who did not come um, to this with any kind of privilege or benefits from being part of a fashion industry before, but you managed to break through. Like, how, how did you do that? And what could we learn, what could the Italian fashion industry and, and all of us more generally learn 
from how you've managed to break through so that there can be other examples like you in the future? You should be a bit stubborn like I've been and also really lucky because it's never, uh, nothing of what happened to me have been possible without the help of big, generous giants of Italian fashion. So without the help of uh, Mrs. Sozzani, Mr. Armani, Mrs. Venturini Fendi, Mrs. Gianfelici, and also the, in this case, British uh, Mrs. Menkes. And they all helped me a lot. And uh, they trust me, they trust me. It's, it's incredible what happened to me. I've applied, I've started applying to the context, the Uza Next context. And I, I applied for the first time and uh, uh, they rejected me. The, uh, one year later, I applied a second time. They rejected me one more time. And then the third time, Mrs. Gianfelici told me, I, I understand that you are used to uh, you are used to be rejected, so you will keep trying until the open the door will open. But next time, try trying to bring your own story. That's the very the very moment that I decide to uh, talk about multiculturalism through fashion. So it has been thanks to the help of this Italian giant. So we are able to make a change. We are able to open our door. That's why it's painful to me when we, um, we stand all over the world an image of Italy, which is uh, racist or make discrimination because it's not the entire nation. We are not like this. Some may do errors that I hope they won't do in future. And I strongly believe they, they won't. And uh, this is not the new image of Italy. The new image of Italy is completely different. It's full of generous people who are willing to help the new generation of Italian of any skin color. Because, you know, we are not asking for quotas. It's not, it's not about, uh, I don't want that you hire me because I'm black, but you don't, you can't not hire me for the same reason. So, it's about uh, meritocracy, which cannot be subordinated to a color, never. So let's, um, we, we need more visionaries as the one who, that helped me at the beginning. We need, we need some more pioneers. And, you know, uh, our country is made of uh, strong roots on the history, on the past, and big wings. In this moment, we just see the wings, the roots of the country, not the history of the country, our strong past. But now we, we need to open our wings and to show the world how we are able to fly because we, have, we even learn the word, we teach the, the, the word how to fly also in fashion like with our giants. Sorry if I'm a bit nationalist in this, in this case. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in Italy right now, we don't use nationalist uh, words, but there, there is a more fashion term for the same word, which is a sovereignism. Well, now there are sovereignists in, uh, in Italy. And um, so we have a tradition, as I said, of pioneer. We should be bold enough to keep working in this direction. Anyway, willingly or un un unwillingly, this reality is here. It won't change. It 
or it will only improve. So I hope that you'll see the, the next Valentino with the dark scene or the next Gucci with the almond-shaped eyes. This is the new Italy. So don't stop just thinking about that. Made in Italy is made of, it's, it's a color. Made in Italy is not a color. Made in Italy is not white. Even if, because as I said, we are not a white country. We are a mixed race country. So it's time to be proud of our mixed roots and to show, it, to show them to the world. And I'm sure that we are able to do it. We already did it, so we are able to do it again. Yeah, I mean, the point that you raise about Made in Italy is a particularly important one. And I'd, I'd like to spend some time discussing that because of course, when you think about all of the big fashion centers in the world, Milan and London and New York and Paris, the, the advantage that Italy has is this history of artisanship, of craftsmanship, of manufacturing. This is like incredible. And anyone who's gone into any of those Italian factories knows that what happens in these factories is it's kind of like fashion magic. You know, it's all of this amazing skills and, and craftsmanship that, you know, are the reason that Italy has such an important role to play in global fashion. So much of what's produced in the luxury fashion industry is made in Italy. But I think what people don't know is the people making many of these products are not just white people. So can you talk about that? Paint for us the picture of the factories in Italy and how, how they represent this multicultural society that you're, you're talking about. As you maybe all know, Italy is uh, now, is, uh, as you maybe heard about news and everything is a border country. So it's a country of frontier. It means that, uh, as I said, we have a story of migration. We have a migratory flow. And also, you will see in our factory many people working there of many different uh, cultural backgrounds. So uh, the Made in Italy already is not white. Uh, it's just about uh, start to promote also this aspect Okay, so also because, you know, we have some precious elements, as you said, we have artisanship and these, these are treasures, these are, this is our cultural heritage. And if we don't start to also teach the, all the, these skills or this capacity to the new generation, which is not composed of a pure race, but a, but a mixed race, all this, all this treasure will disappear. So it's so, I think we, that we should pass a new, uh, a new message, a new image of, the, of Italy, which will be, I'm sure, will, will be stronger. Some, I think that some, there, there are some people who want to keep this old idea of Italy because, thinking that it's the strength of our industry. That's not. It, the world is changing. We are not in the 80s. We are not in the 90s. The world is changing. So we are ready to see all the um, all the different background of the people who are working in Italian in Italian fashion. It's changing. It's different. As you said, it's an historical moment because sometimes it's hard to make uh, people aware of aware of the the change, and uh, not everybody is ready, you know, because we are this nostalgic idea, this romantic idea of the, of the past. 
but this past will die if we don't make it stronger with the new blood, with the new generation, with the new colors and culture that are here. And these cultures are here to stay. Yeah. So Stella, you mentioned earlier that you've been having this exchange with the camera della moda. And um, in the press in recent weeks, we've been talking and hearing about some of the dialogue going back and forth between you and Mr. Capaza, who's the, um, the head of the Camera della Moda and some of the other big figures. You know, bring us up to speed now on what's going on in, in, in your in, you know, activism and your fight to make this conversation, as you said, less taboo, more open and focused on making this, the changes to systemic issues which are preventing the progress um, that you are you know, advocating for. You know, what's going on with the Camera de la Moda now and, and how do you think we can take things forward to really address these systemic issues? I'm really happy today and I'm very pleased to share with you and with the audience the wonderful, wonder after some months with some misunderstanding and some small issues that came between us and um, the president Capaza yesterday. Uh, we, um, he sent us a beautiful, a very beautiful uh, letter. And uh, the wonderful news is that uh, um, a special unit, a working group will be created so uh, for the first time, we will have a Black Lives Matter in Italian fashion uh, unit in the Italian Fashion Council. And believe me, I'm extremely happy that with, with this decision, first because maybe we can start to transform this question, do Black Lives Matter in Italian fashion, into a statement. So Black Lives Matter in Italian fashion. And my country is providing strong signs of presence as well as the desire for true change based on the largest civil rights movement in the history and the responsibilities towards minority that this movement involves. So I'm proud that Italy and uh, particularly the fashion sector would not lag behind uh, on the subject. Instead, it will listen and learn. Perhaps it will stumble along the way, yet it will do everything in its power to change on an unsustainable, something that was unsustainable status quo. So we will do, uh, it will do its part to make different with real action. Therefore, I'm certain that Italian fashion will soon, very soon, reflect its inherent multiculturalism in both comprehension and structure, not simply on catwalks. Without further excuses or delay, and uh, without gradualism, which is important because uh, something, sometimes it's a bit an Italian attitude. We will do it, we will do it, but you, you never know when. So it's, uh, I know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm aware that it's a challenge without precedent. And you know, it makes me think about a Tim Blank's article. I really, really appreciate it. Just after the lockdown, where it focuses on the need of talking openly to each other in fashion now. Something that may seem so simple, but still so new since fashion has traditionally been an industry of secret and the virus along the, with the BLM movement highlighted the no sense behind this behavior. 
And despite great advertising campaign and public statement about the most fashionable terms of the 21st century, sustainability and inclusion, everything was unsustainable and exclusive. So I think that it's time to tell the truth and at least to try avoid the same mistakes of the past. So what happened, Stella? Because it, why did it take so long? And why all of a sudden do you think the Camera de la Moda has, you know, opened up this opportunity for you to create this unit and for you to play a significant role um, in the in the kind of you know exploration and and and, and in addressing this issue. I think that also the international interest in this uh, matter uh, played played a, a huge role. Actually, I think that. Uh, you know, as I said, we are one uh, of the four uh, most important major brand, major um, fashion council and major fashion week in the world. So uh, we know that in the next fashion week, a lot of attention will be on how uh, Italian we Italy will respond to this matter. And uh, I think that the... Um, the will of the president has been to give a strong signal, which is which is really important in this uh, in this moment. Uh, Italy playing such a huge role in fashion worldwide. It can hide itself uh, behind some excuses or some justification anymore. So, it's I think it's it's a great step. It's a really great step. It's the beginning of something that will, will change. It has, never, it has never been addressed from the, the camera that maybe we'll start to admit for the first time that yes, in Italy we have a problem about uh, racism. It doesn't mean it will last. It, it just means that we have to be aware at least to, to solve it. So we have to start admitting and then we will surely, I'm, I'm pretty confident on it. I know my country, I know my people and I'm pretty confident that together I don't know how they will solve it elsewhere in other countries but Italy needs the, this unity we need to solve it together well Estella I want to congratulate you and acknowledge and, and and credit you for the work that you've done because I don't think this would have happened without you and it really does take pioneers and people who are brave enough to stick their neck out as you've done over the past um, few years and more recently in the past few months since this conversation has broken out into the open. So I really don't think it could have happened without you. And I just wanna thank you and congratulate you because that is a massive, um, a massive step forward. I think we also have to acknowledge that there's still a lot of work to do and given some of the conversations um, that we're still having in the industry, there's still, you know, even basic understanding about uh, inclusion that, you know, we still need to have as an industry. But, you know, with people like you driving ahead and, you know, shaping and, and forcing the conversation out into the open, I think um, you're right. I think we have a really good chance of kind of making real actionable change that has a long lasting effect. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you for to uh, give all this attention to this, uh, to this matter. And I hope that your help will follow the, 
the following steps that uh, among what will be the think tank. Uh, the first table that I demanded to be open door because it's important that people, customer makes the difference also participate in this uh, historical uh, debate, which is aimed not at drafting a paper, but really at discussing a fashion reform, setting actionable rules to be adopted by the Fashion Council from day one. Uh, so the think tank is therefore intended to be an opportunity for self-regulation, self which is important, of the industry by directly engaging association, collectives, governments, with you no know, go Italian government is really uh, supportive in this case, and social activists, and Italian gatekeeper of the global fashion system. I focus on the open door detail because it will, as I said, it will be an historical encounter in our fashion. And I think that uh, people that may be interested, customers, since they are playing a huge role in this evolution, must have access to this important step of Italian fashion. So we should not miss the opportunity to lead by example, as we already do in more trivial, ecstatic matters, starting by listening, getting to know, and eventually addressing the local discrimination in our houses with a view to help others with theirs. Well, Stella, we have uh, a question um, that I'd love to call upon. Um, Alicia Ingram um, has sent through a question. So we're just going to bring Alicia onto the screen so she can ask her question. Hi. Hi, Alicia. Hello. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Where are you joining us from today? I'm in Jersey City, New Jersey. Okay. So what's your interest in the Black Lives Matter movement in Italy? And what's your question for Stella today? Um, so I am currently in the um, Masters of Fashion, Business of Fashion in, at Rutgers University here. So I have a lot of interest in um, fashion, obviously. And um, I actually studied Italian in undergrad. So I've always had like an interest in Ital Italian culture. And I saw this in my email and I was like, oh, I have to go to this, this webinar <laughs> to hear about this. And of course, you know, being in the United States, Black Lives Matter is, is, is you know, the, the talk of, of the, the town, the lay of the land. So um, I wanted to hear how that has manifested overseas. Okay. And your question for Stella today? Um, so my question is actually um, with regards to kind of your personal journey, Stella, and how you've navigated the industry. Um, and specific to something that you have on your About Me page where you said clothes can speak louder and in a more incisive manner than many words, sometimes managing to ignite cultural fabric. And I really like that, that idea. And I was just more so curious how you've managed to uphold these ideals while also sustaining your business. Because I would, I would imagine there's a lot of resistance in that narrative of pushing the multiculturalism. So just curious, like, what have you done to maintain that balance to, to make your business successful and also make these critical statements of the industry? You know, uh, nobody teach me. I am, I something like invent this, uh, this way to work and uh, this kind of uh, business in uh, true fashion. 
um, for me, as I said, it was it was a personal need. So that's why when I said the um, clothes can speak louder than than words, because when I put it on the catwalk for the first time, my father's striped shirt and this uh, wax, um, this batik uh, fabrics, which for me at the moment. Uh, were representing the black root of Haiti. Uh, it was for me, the, um, for me, it was important to give the message that you can see that it's beautiful. So if it, it, it can work in fashion, it can work in real life. So it was just an example to how put it to culture on the same level. Uh, can, it can give a good result. So it's just, uh, I'm talking about me, so I'm a good result maybe of uh, two opposite cultures. And, uh, but what is sure is that uh, uh, fashion is a too powerful tool. What, it, it has no sense for me. Maybe because I'm, I don't have this academic part uh, or I didn't study fashion, but for me it has no sense just to do some beautiful clothes. There are some, main industry that make new collection every week so we we are having in this moment a kind of bulimic approach with fashion which is insane to me but instead using this power and in this case power should mean responsibility no you have the influence the people millions of people in the world because when they say next time you will wear red with white dots. You will wear red with white dots. And no matter if it doesn't fit you, no matter if it's not your color, you will do it. So they really have, it's, it's obvious that they have uh, a huge uh, influence on people. We can't use this influence just to talk about some superficial, superficial things. So we can lead by example, we can lead using their powers that to me, means using their responsibility and not talking about beautiful clothes. We obviously all want beautiful clothes. That's that's how we work, and that's uh, uh, fortunately my my work too. But it's important also to uh, use this uh, this tool in a in another way, at least to me. Okay. Thank you, Alicia, for your question. Yes, thank you for having me. Bye. So Stella, I just want to conclude by thanking you again for your time. Um, you asked before if BOF will continue to follow this story. I give you my commitment that we certainly will. And we're obviously here um, to support you in any way we can to push forward this conversation. So thanks again for joining us today for BOF Live. I'm Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. Uh, if you want to follow on for the next upcoming events on BOF Live, you can check out businessoffashion.com slash events. Thank you again, Stella. Have a lovely day. Bye. Thank you, Imran, and all the BOF team. All right. Ciao. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, give us a rating, and you might be interested in joining the Business of Fashion's global membership community, BOF Professional. Our members receive exclusive deep dive analysis, regular email briefings, as well as unlimited access to our archive of over 10,000 articles, our new iPhone app, and all of the online courses and learning materials from BOF Education.